College baseball fans, it's time for the D1 Baseball Podcast with Mike Rooney, Aaron Fitt, and Kendall Rogers. Let's win every podcast. Now, here's the pride of the Newtown Edgemont Little League, Coach Rooney. Hello and welcome to the 42 Minutes of Heaven we call the D1 Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. I am joined by the founding fathers of D1 Baseball, Kendall J. Rogers, Aaron J. Fitt, and gentlemen, we have a special guest, uh, Kendall. You you you're very upfront. You like to tinker. You're you're kind of like our on-field operations guy. Fitzy's like our president mm-hmm. of baseball operations. And Kendall, you you made a like a nice free agent uh, acquisition for the squad here. I mean, like no. you yeah, rolled it out. Let's go. Now hold on. Now hold on. Kendall <laughs> Kendall does not get the credit for this. This is this is bogus. First of all, this is this is bogus. This is, this is guys. Let me jump in here and say Please? it is it is Joe time, gentlemen. It is Joe, Joe time. time. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, I, I, I would Joe like Healy. to say I would like to say one of the chief reasons why I wanted to bring Joe Healy in is because he is a Texan, um, and that's, that's right. in honor of him. I'm wearing my baseballism state of Texas home plate hat. So yeah, I've, I've got my uh, my Marfa Texas hat on. Shout out to uh, oh, Big Ben National Park. Shout out the Marfa Light. Shout, <laughs> shout out, Marfa out to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> When's the, when do you think the last time Big Ben National Park and Marfa have been shouted out on a podcast? Not enough. That's for darn sure. <laughs> I love it. God's that country out there. That's right. Marfa, you have to put a huge chaw in to even be able to say Marfa. Texas. That's right. Hey, by, by, by the way, Joe went to high school, like literally seven minutes from my house. No so, way. Yeah. Oh, where you live Spring now, high. Kendall. Yeah. Yeah. Spring High School, the home of Josh yeah. Beckett. That's right. Yes. Go Lions. Yeah. Shout out. Spring High Lions. Home of home of Ben Gay. Remember Ben Gay back in the mid nineties? Like the number one running back in the, in America and was a I total do, yeah. bust. Yeah, yeah. Right, before he we was, go too uh, far, I played as him in Madden a couple times. He was uh, he was low <laughs> on the Madden ratings, but, uh, but did he, he play for there. the Browns? I forget where he was, but he did have a couple of years in the league. Okay. Just by by the way, hey Joe, just just to start this thing off, <laughs> just just for Aaron, who would you rather have, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning? Ooh. Like right now, probably Tom just Brady. Because... Right well, I'm just saying, in, in their heyday, Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. But see, the trouble like... here is I know where these allegiances lie, and so that's really kind of – Just say David <laughs> like, Klingler. Joe. Don't worry, but, Chris oh, Burke is not on here. David Klingler is a good answer. Andre Ware, David Klingler, you know, those <laughs> 1990s University yeah. of Houston quarterbacks. <laughs> can, can, I just, can I just interject here and say Please. Joe – Joe Healy has been on the staff for two and a half minutes, and we're already off the rails of the podcast. I, I don't know <laughs> what that good, says about you. Hey, Joe, uh, listen, uh, we haven't introduced you yet. We just kind of we just let, <laughs> let, Ken, we let Kendall like East Texasize this whole thing. We don't even know. The, uh, the audio listeners are like, what the heck's going on here? Uh, uh, we want to introduce our, yeah. our, our newest staff member, Joe Healy, uh, comes to us from, from Baseball America, uh, a, a breeding ground of proud D1 baseball writers. Um, Fair. Uh, but uh, th- this is where we couldn't be more excited to have Joe uh, as part of the team. Joe, welcome, my friend. Uh, thank you, my friends. Thank you. It's happy to be here. Uh, it feels in many ways like coming home. You know, college baseball is what I love. College baseball is what I want to do. And and there's no one doing it like you guys. And so I'm just thrilled thrilled to be here. I you know that we're just blowing smoke towards each other uh, back and forth here. But I mean, I, I this is kind of. Um, you know, a culmination of what I've been working towards to, to do this professionally and to just, you know, uh, do the best I can covering college baseball. And so this is, um, you know, this, this is awesome. I'm super thrilled to be here. Hey, Joe, let's do this. I want, I want you to tell the listeners that may, maybe some that, that haven't followed you in the past that kind of like your college baseball origin story. I will say this, like, obviously you did amazing work at Baseball America. I, I mean, I think Kendall and, and Aaron and I have been following you since the college baseball central days. And I always loved trading texts with Don Miller, who I believe was the founder of that site. And, you know, every one of his texts kind of started out with this theme. How about my boy, Joe? He'd like, like a proud papa. And I'm like, you know, and, and Don is such a, just such a great college baseball soul. And it was clear back then. I mean, obviously back then you're working a full-time job and doing college baseball, but yeah, tell, tell us kind of how you got hooked on college baseball. A classic story of being in the right place at the right time. You know, I grew up as, as Kendall alluded to, I, I grew up in, in the Houston area and there was really no better time to be a college baseball fan than in the state of Texas. Well, generally, but especially back at that time, you got to remember this is 
my formative years were late nineties, early two thousands. And Texas was rolling under Augie and, and Texas A&M under Mark Johnson was, you know, the 99 college world series was a, a pretty vivid memory for me. Um, the university of Houston was really rolling. Rice was getting going under Wayne Graham. It was just a really good time to be into college baseball in Texas. And, and I'm not really sure exactly outside of being able to say that I had some family members who went to rice. Like, I'm not really sure what the spark was necessarily, but I just remember, you know, the something about the sport of college baseball. I don't know if it was the ping of the bat. I don't know if it was the, the run scoring. I don't know if it was just that it was a little bit more accessible, whatever it was, it, it just, it was a spark that caught. And then I, went to school at Sam Houston state. And that's obviously a, a proud baseball school as well. And so if I'd have gone to school somewhere else, maybe it'd be a different story. Maybe it'd be something that I was into at one point and, and moved on from, but that kind of just continued to fuel the fire. And, you know, you, you mentioned it, I caught on with college baseball central while I was working a full-time job in the tech industry. And I just rolled up on collegebaseballcentral.com one day out of the blue and thought, you know what, I'm just going to send this guy an email and say, hey, I can write a little bit. I love college baseball. What do you say? That essentially was my pitch. And, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, and I will always owe him a, a huge debt of gratitude, Don Miller, because he he said, yeah, OK, let's do it. And so this was postseason 2014. And he said, hey, there's a CWS game on literally tonight. Um, do you want to just do a recap for the site? And I said, sure, I'll do it. And that's kind of where it started. And so I, I, you know, moved up to running that site for a couple of years and, um, you know, BA kind of plucked me from obscurity, if you will, uh, running that site. And the rest is, they say is history. So it's just, like I said, a classic case of, you know, had an, any number of things not gone exactly the way they did. Who knows if I'd be sitting here doing this, but I'm sure glad they did play out that way. That's so cool. Who were your uh, favorite favorite uh, in that era when you were st- when you were really into it in the beginning, Joe? Favorite player, favorite coach? Well, how could you not Wayne Graham? Just because he was OG. an ori- he was an original, you know, in so many ways. I mean, that yeah, they call him the OG, and and um, that actually derives from the fact that at this time he was coaching at Rice. They had a football coach. Who many people might know Todd Graham. And so that's kind of where some of that nickname came from was he was the original Graham, the OG. And Ah. so that's where some of that came from. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, but just such an original, I mean, how many guys are out there that could tell you stories about Casey Stingle, you know, I mean, and so the players that went through Rice too, I mean, he, he loves to tell recruiting stories about, you know, how Lance Berkman ended up there and Jose Cruz Jr. And David Ardsma and, and all those, the pitchers they had year after year. And so, that's um, that's probably the coach that had the, the biggest impact on the player side, probably some of the random players, it, you know, it's not the big stars. Like it'd be easy for me to sit here and say that, you know, you know, it was, it was Lance Berkman that had this, this, the biggest impact on me. But I think about guys like Shane Nance at the university of Houston, um, wow. you know, guys like that, just because they were, those were my formative years. And like, they were, you know, those types of players were just kind of normal college players, even though he went on to have a professional career. But, um, but for me, they were these larger than life characters or some of the two way guys from back in those days, because I had no idea until I started following college baseball. And of course, this is long before Shohei Otani came into our world. I had no idea the two way player was possible, right? You grow up just kind of assuming you've got pitchers and you got position players and that that's all there is to it. But in college baseball, we have these magical two way guys who can do both things. And so I, you know, was kind of enthralled by that and was like fascinated by the usage of that. Like, how do you manage that? And that's still a kind of a fascinating thing to this day. You know, I think about like, what are they, what is LSU going to do with Paul Skeens this year with catching maybe and pitching and all that kind of stuff. So that's still a fascinating piece of the puzzle. So for me, it's kind of those, the, the more random players that have, have come through the ranks, you know, more so than the, the big stars for me, because I think that's, those are the cult heroes often, Right. Um, it's really easy to latch onto the guys who go on to have these big MLB careers, but the cold heroes are the ones that, that appeal to me more. So love it. That's my Billy Bates. Number one at Texas played. (laughs) I think he played in three different, uh, three straight national title games. Fitzy, who was your favorite college baseball player originally? Did you have one? Uh, I mean, my, my answer is very much, um, more, more of a not, not 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 a typical fit answer. It would not be like a like a Joe Healy underdog guy. Uh, I remember seeing Nomar, you know, in Veritech in, in the Cape League. 
um, wow. when I was growing up. And and those guys, like I love that Georgia Tech team, Jay Payton. You know, those, yeah. that was that was one of the first teams that really captivated me as, as a college baseball fan. So I know that's you know those are big names, but those are those are the guys that I think of first that really kind of got me. Yeah. It's so cool. Nomar's a SoCal guy, right? And goes yeah. to Georgia Tech and is a star. Kendall, how about you? There was there must be an AM player that was your guy growing up, right? Man, I just remember all those all those players in the SWC in like the mid nineties, like the Clint Clint Bryant's and the you know, like Brooke, you know, you talk about like two way players, like how about Brooks Kieschnick? Like you know, Brooks Kieschnick would go out there and throw on Friday, hit all weekend, and then go out there and start another game on Sunday. Well, that's just the way that college baseball was back then. Like Brooks Keishnick was kind of the, the original OG when it comes to two way guys, but like Keishnick, Clint Bryant. I mean, uh, you look at A and M with like the um, ninety three. Uh, you know they had you know Trey Moore, Jeff Granger, Kelly Wunsch, and all three of those guys were top two round picks, and that was their week in rotation that year. And so you think about that uh, and how good that team was. I think they were what the number two national seed. Good story, you know. Todd Walker actually is the one who hit the big home run against A and M that year to not, to beat A and M in Omaha in the national semifinals. So, um, yeah, that, that those are probably the, the guys and the teams that, that stand out to me the most. Oh, you, Jason Jennings at Baylor. Speaking of two way guys, Jason Jennings at Baylor, kind of around the same time yeah. that Joe started. Uh, I mean, he was another great, great two way player back in Dominant. the day. So, so Fitzy, my two guys, like, so Billy Bates is by far my favorite player of all time. It was the old school Texas uniforms. They had two different oh, yeah. colors of orange. You know, they were, it was Greg Swindell's teammate. The, the, I, I'm, I, I need to Google this, but I'm pretty sure Texas played in three straight national title games in the early 80s. And I was a little guy. Billy Bates was a little second baseman leadoff hitter. My favorite pitcher Richie Lewis of Florida State, nice. another sawed off five foot nine guy. Um, this was way before pitch counts were a thing. And believe me, like Richie Lewis was like NASA testing pitch counts at the time. Like the day Richie Lewis got the ball, every, all the other pitchers just stay at the hotel. And he had he wore number four. So single digit pitcher. Um, and he had this wicked 12 six hammer and threw. He was like he was like Lincecum back then. Like he pitched up and then down with a curveball. Um, and Florida State would wear those like all yellow uniforms. You, you couldn't miss him. It was like it was uh, so great. You know, it's so. funny. He, Joe mentioned Rice, and, and I still think this to this day that the two most impressive program building jobs in college baseball history for me is is Wayne Graham at Rice. I mean, anybody that saw the original facility they played in. I mean, it was a joke. I mean, there's a there's a facility a block away from my house for the neighborhood that's better than their original stadium. But the other one for me would be Oregon State. I think what what Pat Casey built there uh, is unbelievable for Oregon yeah. State to be the program that they've been since the early 2000s. I, I yeah. think for me, those are the two best program building jobs that, co- that a coach has done in our sport. And I'm gonna. I mean, if we're gonna go down that road, I, I would. I think you got to throw out Augie Garrido at Fullerton. You know, taking yeah. that program instantly to the top of the mountain um, yeah. at, at Cal State Fullerton. I mean, yeah. you know, it's a Gene, Gene school. Stevenson at Wichita State. Gene Stevenson. Was I mean, the one I was gonna mention. There's a yeah. there's a great book. I mean, that I read uh, by a, a local writer out in Wichita who really recounts it and, and the building job there and, and truly from nothing. Program didn't exist. Field didn't exist. And like to, to hear the story retold, they they kind of strung Gene Stevenson along with promises of a new stadium and all that kind of, you yeah. know, and but he left Oklahoma to take, you know, he was an assistant at Oklahoma and, and left that to take the Wichita State job for very little money, just kind of on the idea that, yeah, I could I could do this. And so um, and it, it leads to kind of a fascinating big picture question that I, I hope over time we could explore a little bit is just that I just don't know that you can do that in college baseball anymore. My college baseball has developed to the point where yeah. I don't know that you can just come along and throw money at it and become a power in the way that it's not that simple, right? You have to have From the right, scratch, guys, the right players, sure. but, yeah. but I just don't know that college baseball is far enough along. I just don't think simply by caring and throwing resources at it, you can, you can get to that point anymore. I hope you still can. Cause I'd love to see it, yeah. but I, it's just, it's so hard now. The sport is so good at the top. It's just hard to break through. Yeah. It's like business today, you know, like the inefficiencies that those coaches were able to exploit um have mm-hmm. you know that they've kind of gone away but i you know the other thing too that's a shame is that those coaches you know wayne graham gene stevenson that whole era of coaches their personalities were larger than life yes. and today's college athletics t- hey today's world doesn't embrace that right like those coaches in 2022 would have said something 
that would have let you know lit the stadium on fire right and <laughs> that's what we love about them like that's what you know they were so engaging but um uh, well, think about Augie. I mean, Augie's, you know, not been with us for several years now, and you still see every, you know, during baseball season, I'll still see that that damn YouTube video pop up on Facebook somewhere. And that yeah. video was from what, what, like, the San Diego game and a regional from, like, what was it, like? Six, uh, maybe 07. Yeah, I mean, ago. it was back in before 2010. So, and we still see that. But that's just kind of the, the impact those guys, you know, made on our sport. Yeah, incredible. The, um, I'll tell you guys a quick Gene Stevenson story, and then we'll. Uh, I want to recognize S2 Cognition, then we'll get into what yeah. we wanted to talk about today. My Back when Pat Murphy was coaching us at Notre Dame, he would bring in a powerhouse college baseball program in the fall, and he would we would play them the Thursday and Friday night before, before a big football game. And when I was at Notre Dame, Notre Dame football – was they won the national title my freshman year. I mean, it was a it was an event. And so my freshman year, we played Miami. My sophomore year, he got Skip Gillespie to bring USC and the Boone brothers in. And then my junior year, we play, um, we play Wichita State. This is 1991. I think Wichita State, so they had won, what did they win the national title? 89, Joe, does that sound right? Yep. I mean, this was the yep. heyday, right? So, you know, but it's 40 degrees in South Bend, Indiana. They don't know what's going on. We played at the minor league park. We beat Wichita State the, the Thursday night, and Gene Stevenson lit them up like a Christmas tree after the game. You could hear it in our dugout, and you're just like, dang, right? And and Murph wasn't exactly gentle with us, so it's like for another coach to get our attention, we we had a we you know we had a, a high bar to clear there. The next night, so Friday night, we played uh, Wichita State again. They beat us like a drum. I mean, they ran us off our own field. And it was Jim Audley and Billy Hall. I mean, they stole third like our pitcher was blindfolded. It was comical how fast they were and how good they were. And, you know, but I, I love I love that whole concept of program identities. And to me, that was Wichita State back in that time was they were fast as blazes. And, man, they played in your face. I mean, they were they, they were just kind of like that old school Midwest toughness it was mean. it was they were yeah. mean and then and they embraced yeah, that's it. it yes that's right they were they were not there to they like they wouldn't even make eye contact with you it was just like we're, we're here to beat your rear ends and and you know we may even have your post game spread if we if and, we and you know to. what love them or hate them i mean tennessee is kind of the, the torchbearer yeah. of that now right like and and you know you know we need that in the sport we I mean we need we need characters like tony vitello who have yes. that kind of personality who are going to ruffle some feathers i you know we needed pat murphy i mean i, yeah. I think we miss having pat murphy in the game i, I, I think pat. yeah no i i think that's important i think it, it adds color to the game and um and i'm glad there are still some people out there who kind of carry that on yeah all right, great segue, Fitzy. Hey, by the way, this podcast and the acquisition of the great Joe Healy brought to us by our friends at S2 Cognition. S2 Cognition delivers a revolutionary approach to helping athletes understand how in-game decisions impact their performance from youth to pro. Their website's really cool. I encourage anyone to get on their website. I was there last night. Vandy is using S2 Cognition right now. More to come on that down the road. But again, really appreciate their partnership. These guys have some great stuff uh, you know, we've all been around hitters is what comes to mind for me, where the BP is gorgeous. The swing is technically perfect. And yet the in-game results aren't happening. And that's decision making, right? That's pit recognition. That's trusting all of those things. So, again, really excited about our partnership with S2 Cognition. All right, boys, let's jump in. I'm going to go out of order a little bit for our agenda. Um, we wanted to talk about our best calls from last year, our worst calls. I want to talk about surprises from the 2022 season. Here's, here's where I'm going with this. Hey, fall ball is like on us right now. Fitzy, you're, you know, you're getting ready to get on the road. And um, fall ball is when we start to formulate our opinions for the 2023 season. And sometimes your initial instincts are spot on. And sometimes, looking at me, you get tricked badly. Um, and so I want to, let's start with some surprises from the 2022 season. Uh, Kendall, let's have you kick us off. Give me, give us, I mean, this, you could go anywhere with this postseason, regular season, but what's something in the 2022 season, good, bad, or indifferent that you would say, man, that, that was kind of surprising that it played out like this. Uh, I think the easy one for me is Texas state. Uh, I mean, Ooh. you know, if you look at Texas State a couple of years ago, they were a team that we had picked near the top of the Sun Belt. Um, they really, really struggled during the during the 21 season. And to see what they did last year, it really, guys, kind of gives, 
especially mid majors, it gives them kind of the blueprint of what needs to happen for them to take that next step forward. You know, get get on the doorstep of a super regional. Because if you look at Stephen Trout's team last year, you go up and down the lineup. You go throughout the pitching staff. You know, they had a Levi Wells from Texas Tech. Um, when you look at the lineup, I think they had what six six seniors in their everyday lineup. Uh, they have a, they had a ton of old guys, and so mm-hmm. uh, you know I think when you look at that team with all those seniors, a lot of at bats, a lot of innings pitched. Uh, I thought Texas State was going to be pretty good last year, but had you told me they probably should have won a regional, I mean they were they were Three a pitch away from winning a regional and getting yeah. a super. Mm-hmm. Had you told me that, I probably would have thought you're a little crazy. But yeah, I thought Stephen Trout and the job that his staff and his team did last year uh, was really surprising uh, and, and pretty impressive. And by the way. Uh, they lose some of those guys, but I mean, they get back Levi Wills, who had a great summer. I think fits on up the Cape. He had a great summer at the Cape Cod League. Uh, they've got some of those key pieces back. So I, I think this is a springboard for that program uh, more so than a kind of a one year blip. Gosh dang. That's a great call, Kendall. And I like the word you use blueprint. I, you guys told me, I, I told you last year, I saw Texas State beat Arizona in Tucson in the non mm-hmm. on Sunday to win the series. And I was just kind of like, they're old. Okay they're interesting whatever they they just kind of play solid baseball but then the seventh inning comes texas state's got the lead and they bring in number two tristan dixon this sidewinding righty who literally is he could have pitched he could have touched their base from he was so far on that side of the mound so if you're a right-handed you're just feeling like i'm good right now the ball's coming from behind me and then so he gets six quick outs and he's very athletic sidewinder and then Tristan Stivers comes in with this hammer from Hades. Like, dang it, Texas <laughs> State, look at you. I mean, it was – and the Arizona hitters were just like, uncle. You know, like – and they're – you know, Arizona's very right-handed too. So, perfect matchup. Hey, uh, go, you, oh, right. go ahead. Go ahead, Aaron. Well, I was going to say, but but give Runes credit because he wrote about that. on In his Runes report that very week, yeah. he was the early – probably the earliest adopter on Texas State. You said, hey, watch out for these guys. And – Boy, you were right. I mean, they were they were dangerous. They were real. It's and, really and- interesting. You talk about Tr- Tristan Stivers. I mean, he was a guy that you know we were talking to Dave Esker at the end of the season, and he was and we were talking about Stivers, and he was like, "Man, that guy was like unhittable." He was honestly like when they started him in the last game, he's like, "We were actually excited because we knew like as a reliever, at some point he's going to run out of bullets." But I mean, if it's a close game, they bring him in in the sixth inning. Like, man, we're in trouble. And so it's just kind of funny looking back at that, their decision to start him in the last game. Stanford actually really wanted that more so than his ability to come out of the bullpen. So kind of a cool cool story for them the season last year. No doubt. Fitzy, what, give us a we, – we may go a couple rounds on surprises because I got a long list of them. Fitzy, what's a surprise <laughs> from last year that I – mean, uh, as you look, yeah, look back? Yeah, I've got two. Can I give two, or do you want me to just give yeah, one? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just sticking in the Sun Belt, guys. Who saw Georgia, uh, Georgia Southern coming? Yeah. Hosting, I mean, hosting a regional Georgia Southern. It, it just, it. you know, they were. We we had them picked as a middle of the pack team. I think they were. You know, the previous year they were solid. They were thirty six and twenty two. They went fourteen and ten in their league. They were a middle of the pack Sun Belt team. Um, and heading into the season, that's where we thought they would be again, and. I mean, to, to, to go on and host a regional, you know, after, after losing Chase Dolander, mind you, um, you know, to Tennessee, I mean, it's incredible that that one, I just plain did not see coming. And that was a really cool story. Um, and, and then I would have to say Virginia tech, you know, another host that, Great one. I mean, boy, and, and I liked a lot of their talent. I mean, I look back, I remember seeing him in the fall. I wrote up, I liked their lineup a lot. I just didn't know if I believed in the pitching. Um, I mean, I thought that division was pretty, tough to pick last year but i had Virginia tech pick to finish last and that hurts yeah. that hurts looking back and seeing seeing Virginia tech picked at the bottom of, of the standings there um because i because i did you know obviously i was on gavin cross i had him as the top prospect in the league i love tanner Schobel. i mean i love their position but i didn't believe in their pitching and i just think you got to give ryan fecto so much credit for what he did with that staff um and for them to go out and you know uh win the acc right didn't they win the acc um yeah host a regional get a top you know top eight national seed win a regional um i mean one win from omaha that's impressive <laughs> that was a, a heck of a story right there i will say by, by the way i will say I'll, I'll i'll vouch for fit here if you look at his fall report on virginia tech he said pretty specifically in there that if everything clicked they could finish a lot higher than last place so 
And in fairness to you, Fitzy, Drew Hackenberg didn't pitch in the fall, and like he was a big part of that story. And you know, the truth is, if he hadn't if he hadn't run out of gas, and you know, Kendall was on Oklahoma early, and I was ready to send drug tests to Houston. To I was like, come on, Kendall, like oh you, and then please don't. Yeah, it was. uh, I mean, you know, if they get a different draw in the super regional, being the point, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Kendall, the, the big, you know, that's why he goes to CrossFit every day. We know he's all hopped up, Kendall. So yeah. We don't want to send him a drug test. Please, Man, caffeine's not a drug, drug Kendall. Come on, <laughs> caffeine's not a drug. Oh, that's great, Coach Healy. Give us a surprise from the 2022 season. All right, I'll throw a couple out here too. Uh, how about Rutgers? Um, you know, obviously they didn't get across the finish line they would have you know you we could sit here and probably bat around the should have part of it but they they i mean it's just to be as good as they were and oh by the way you you look at i really like that transfer class they brought in i think because of steve owen's connections in the northeast he's got a really good pulse for where to find those division three guys that you find in the northeast there's a lot of good division three baseball up in that region so they're they're picking off some of these grad transfers from these d3 programs um, mm-hmm. it's the recruiting class is really good. Um, so I think there's actually, I, I would just say, take lightly what Rutgers did in 2022 at your own peril, because yeah. I, I think there's actually something yeah. bigger happening there. And it's kind of crazy to think like Michigan's not going anywhere. I get it. Uh, but the idea that the big 10 could be going through Maryland and Rutgers in the not so distant future is just kind of a strange, like alternate universe thing mm-hmm. that if you told us 15 years ago, there'd be a lot of reasons why we'd be confused about that. Um, but it, it does kind of feel like that's a thing we're, we're heading towards when you look at Rutgers building and Maryland being really right for this moment, the class of the big 10. So just, so that was surprising. I'll also throw another, another one, a little bit lower down that's Kennesaw state um, being what they were. And I think that they're fascinating from the big picture for me, because we look at what the transfer portal hath wrought, if you will. And, we're quick to look at teams like Texas A&M last year, right? Which could also be on this list of surprises and say, well, okay, they just did a really good job in the portal. And that's true. And I think we tend to look at the risk for mid-major programs in the portal. And that's valid. I mean, team, you know, Samford lost a lot of their roster to the SEC, right? Sonny D and Brooks Carlson and Chase Isbell and all those guys. But Kennesaw State, I think, showed a blueprint for using the portal effectively as a mid-major and some of that was because Ryan Coe and his staff had worked in scouting before. So they had relationships with some of those players from that they had scouted and kind of knew what they were getting. But they brought in Josh Hatcher from Mississippi State, fresh off a national title. They reached down and brought up some Division II guys that played big roles right away. And so, you know, that's not a, an exact science at, at the power conference level or the mid-major level. But I think they did show that, hey, yes, at the mid-major level, you are going to get your roster picked over a little bit in the transfer portal, but that doesn't mean you can't also reload. Um, mm-hmm. So with that risk, I think they did show a little bit of, of what you can do at, at the mid-major. And so, you know, there's always potential with Kennesaw State. I mean, they're in the, the Atlanta metro area. It's a hotbed, like it's a good league, the Sun, all that stuff. Um, but for them to be as good as they were and flirting with, had they not won the ASUN auto bid, maybe they would have been an at-large team. They were pretty bubbly, but to even get to that point was really impressive. Mm. How about how about Josh Hatcher and Levi Wells, who Kendall mentioned earlier? Like, you know, in the transfer portal, we get wound up about, you know, Paul Skeens and Tommy White and Thatcher Hurd. But man, like the Levi Wells, you guys both use kind of the word or the the the, the idea of blueprint, like, there's Levi Wells and there's Josh Hatcher's on a lot of big time power five. Hey, let's like, if you're Josh Hatcher, being an everyday player in Mississippi state is hard. That's hard. You know, to not everyone is Tanner Allen, not everyone is Rowdy Jordan. And, and so, yeah, that the, I, you guys have heard me kid that if I'm, you know, if I'm a mid-major, I'm sending a fruit basket to the Arkansas coaching staff every week, right? Like, Hey, you're going to have good players that just can't crack that lineup. And, and, um, we're here. We're, we're, we, we got gotcha. you. So that's good. That's great, um, boys, I'm going to go with the obvious one, which is Tennessee. And Coach Healy, you need to know that our good friend Chris Burke is as fun of a college baseball conversation as you're going to have. We need to get you on the thread with Berkey. We don't call him Chris Burke. We refer to him as Chris from Louisville. He's our number one calling. You know, he's our, he's our number one caller. We get texts after every um, podcast breaking it down letting us know how we did so 
Chris from Louisville last year was pretty chapped at us in the preseason because we had Georgia like 16 and we had Tennessee 19. And even Chris from Louisville would admit that Tennessee at 19 was very defensible. That's, that's kind of where they belonged in the preseason. I mean, think about it. They had no catcher. Evan Russell, who hadn't caught from since high school, was going to be their catcher. And you're like, what? Like, what? Like, Evan Russell's your backup? Feels uncomfortable? No, he's your starter? Oh, and, and by the way, you've got a staff where everybody throws 100? What, what are we even doing here? And then, you know, Jake Rucker's gone. And uh, Max Ferguson is gone. And Liam Spence is gone. I mean, those dudes were the glue on a 50-win team that went to Omaha. And then the pitching staff was going to be brand new. And Chase Dolander was a kid with a 5 ERA from the Sun Belt. You're like, he's going to be in SEC rotation now? And, and then it's two, two freshmen that, we, we, you know, like they're freshmen, right? We don't, we don't know. The, the SEC is traditionally unkind to freshmen. And then, you know, to your point earlier, Fitzy, not only were they the, the like, far and away best team in the country, but, man, they were one of the funnest you know, most engaged, I mean, Tennessee baseball in 22 brought so many average sports fans or standard sports fans to our sport. They were so compelling. There was, you know, bat gate and middle finger gate and <laughs> the whole coaching staff gets bounce gate. And then Frank Anderson doesn't even get to call pitches in the game that, you know, for Omaha and just like they never stopped entertaining us. And, we, you know, their fan base was just inflamed. I mean, everything about the Tennessee story was amazing. Um, and, and, you know, the truth is I, I didn't see that coming in any way, shape or form. Yeah. The, the crazy thing about that too, is that they, they weren't necessarily fully operational either. You mentioned Evan Russell being forced into duty. They were supposed to have Matt McCormick from West Virginia come in and he's more of an offensive catcher. So it would not have fixed the defensive stuff, but that's another bat they would have had as if they didn't have enough. And, Seth Halverson was going to be a part of their pitching mix and yeah. another real hard throwing guy. And he was, he ended up down for the year. So they, they really ended up not even being fully what they could have been, which is kind of scary. And what's scary for other teams too, is part of the reason why we were shorting Tennessee in a lot of ways was, I mean, who saw Trey Lipscomb being what he was. And right. if this is going to be a program that recruits the way they do recruits out of the transfer portal, the way they do. And Oh, by the way, also develops players like that that's a really dangerous combination because you don't see a lot of programs that are operating at that high a level in all of those phases. And, and if I may interject here, please. Uh, I, you know, I think, thank you runes for defending our ranking of Tennessee at number 19. They vastly outperformed that ranking. Sure. Yeah. Just like Virginia tech and Georgia Southern and A&M and all these, you know, lots of teams are always going to be surprises. Uh, kudos to them for outperforming that ranking. Um, but I think you're right. I think it was an appropriate place to have them ranked at the time. And I don't think, 17 was inappropriate or 16, whatever Georgia was. I don't think that was really bad either. I mean, I even, here's the thing is, you know, they were still a number two seed. Thank you, Kat, for walking across <laughs> my screen. They were still a, a, a number two seed in, <laughs> in a regional, even after getting you know decimated by injuries. I mean, losing Dylan Ross in particular before the season really got going was yeah. a huge loss. But, I mean, you know, it's, they, they hit a lot. We liked their lineup. They hit, um, you know things didn't work out on the mound and they were still a two seed in the regional. So they were just outside a top 25 team at the end of the year, but they were a top 25 team for much of the year. That ranking was fine. So Chris from Louisville, take a hike. <laughs> I, I, I was convinced that Tennessee was going to be really good when I saw them. And Joe, I think you were there too. When I saw them in Houston at the Shriners and Chase Burns struck out like 12 and seven against Texas, I'm thinking like, okay, these guys are pretty damn good. And I think later in the weekend, Jared Dickey, might have hit a ball in the upper deck at Minute Maid. I, I was sold at that point. Well, they had like they they also had they started because of I forget what the circumstances were, but they they had to start Christian Moore on Sunday, who hadn't played like at all, and he yeah. had like he four good. hits and two home runs, yeah. and it's like this guy's not getting at bats. What are we doing? You know, I mean that was when I it started to be like much like you. That's when it became kind of clear to me like oh this is this is something different than I thought it was. And I'll say this for Tennessee too. Like this is, I know this is kind of a strange comment to make, but I think everything that they went through last year will serve that program better long-term. Totally. Because if you look at any of Tony's interviews after that season, he's like, Hey, you know what? At the end of the day, like we're not changing our identity, but you know, are, are there times where we went a little too far? Yes. Are there times where I should have stepped in and told our kids, Hey, let's, let's not do that. Yes. So, as heartbreaking as the end of that season was, they're recruiting at a high level. 
They're about to, you know, they're about to put $40 million in their ballpark. The fans are in a frenzy. Like that program is going nowhere. And I think what they experienced this past year at the end of the season, given all the drama, I think is going to serve them well over the next five or six years. And if I may interject again, I mean, (laughs) this ties in nicely to our program rankings, you know, because right now I think today, as we, as we record this podcast, um, Tennessee, uh, their, their batches up, right? I mean, they're number, what, what are they, 18, I think, in, in our program ranks that are top 100. They're, that's up from 69, you know, to just three years ago, the last time we did this exercise um, in 2019. Yeah. I mean, they, they vaulted, you know, before that they were outside the top 100. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're a top 20 program now, and you could argue that they should be higher. They're, you know, you look at what they've actually done to this point compared to the teams just in front of them. I think they're in an appropriate spot, but you, you could argue that in two years, they will be top 10. You know, we could all mm-hmm. see that Absolutely. happening. It certainly seems like that's the way they're trending. Yeah. Yep. No question. Hey boys, uh, um, before we, I, I got one more thing for us. Um, but before we do that, I want to uh, mention a new partnership that we've got that that's really, really exciting. And that's with the ABCA, the American Baseball Coaches Association. I want to encourage any coaches listening, make your plans now to join the baseball world in Nashville for the ABCA annual convention and trade show. It's going to be January 5th through the 8th, 2023. It's at the Gaylord Opryland in Nashville. It's just an awesome weekend. It, you know, it, it's the biggest and best baseball weekend of the year. Um, it's incredible for networking. It's incredible for sharpening your axe as a baseball coach. The the knowledge being ba- uh, bounced around there is is it's unreal. And and I get it. Like for many of us, getting there is is a little. It's it can be a stretch. It's travel. There's an expense there. I'm just telling you, do what you got to do to get there. It is worth every penny. Every person that's ever been in that position that said, oh, gosh, I don't know if I can pull this off. Hey, I was a high school coach. I was a junior college coach. I get it. Um, You you know, the budget is there is no budget. Make it happen. Figure it out. It is so worth it. It's worth it for your career. It's worth it for your team that you're going to go coach. And so we will all be there. We've got our rooms. Um, We are super jacked up about this partnership with the ABCA. And, um, you know, and and again, uh, when you get there, make sure you come up and introduce yourself to all of us. Uh, It's it's awesome. Just a a killer weekend. So that's a great sell job, by the way. Oh, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) I may get two rooms now just for that. That's right. When you genuinely (laughs) believe in something, though, right? It's easy. It's yeah. So, boys, let's do. Let's do, let me, let me just rattle off some other surprises that I had on my menu and you guys can pick one or two that really jump out at you. Um, how about Tommy White and Vance Honeycutt? Like the, like we get it every year. There's true freshmen that make a huge impact, but that's a joke. Like those guys were like dominant forces in our sport as true freshmen. Um, oh my gosh. Who's the uh, Bill Simmons. We had Bill Simmons tweeting about Tommy White early in the season. I was like, Oh man, now we've arrived as a sport. Griffin Dorsheen and Sonny D like, you know, those are mid-major programs transferring to the S to, to power five leagues and dominating. Mm-hmm. Now Griffin Dorsheen's total numbers don't look that way because of injury, but I, I always think that, okay, they're going to step up in class and their, their numbers are going to come down. Those guys had their best seasons in many ways as they stepped up in class, you know, in the preseason, who would have thought that A&M and Auburn would be the sec West schools hosting. Like that was not on my bingo board. A, it would be AM and Auburn as the host schools, none of the other SEC West schools. Yeah, not in my State, mind. Not, not the defending national champions, not yeah. the team that would go on to win a national championship, Ole Miss, and not, not LSU, Arkansas. And not yeah. Arkansas. Wild. Yep, no question. Uh, you know, Maryland, we, we kind of saw them being good, but they should have been a top eight seed. Like that's like beyond good. Um, Cooper Jerpy was on the radar. But, like, he became the best pitcher in America by a fairly wide margin, in my opinion. I don't know that I saw that coming. Um, you know, Notre Dame, I, this is more on me. I was skeptical of Notre Dame. You know, I thought the loss of Nico Cavadas and the loss of Tanner Kolhep, I felt like they had a pretty fragile formula, and that was just enough to tip it in the wrong direction. And then Jack Finley, as a true freshman, to do what he did in the postseason was crazy. And then the last one, you saw this coming, KR, but, OU like Oklahoma mm-hmm. at the midway point of the season just kind of went from second gear to you know hide the women and children gear like you know and Cade Horton getting healthy was a big part of that I'll, I'll wrap it with this and, and you guys comment on jumping on any of those Peyton Graham mm-hmm. became best player on the field every day 
I didn't see yeah. that coming. I, I, I thought he was the same player for three years. And then for the last half of his final season, he was like, I'm, he became a dude, dude. It was crazy. You know, I think that I think when you look back at Oklahoma's run, um, I think there there are players that you know that are coming off Tommy John surgery, coming off injury, that look at that run that Kate Horton went on, and they go, you know what? Like, if I'm in that position, like I'm going to play. You know, and, and the reason why I bring that up is because you think about you know Alabama falling short of getting to the to the postseason. Connor Prelit makes a decision to do a bullpen at the SEC tournament, decides not to pitch, even though he's he's healthy and able to pitch. On the flip side, you look at Kate Horton, who, you know, could have very easily gone the same path, right? But he comes back, you know, you know, the last two months of the season, goes to Omaha and looks unbelievable, puts puts together a Will Bednar esque uh, set of performances, and then he gets drafted. And what he's, I mean, what he signed for, like four or five million dollars. So, I mean, there's no way if he doesn't go on that run that he gets anywhere near that. So I just thought that the, you know, him coming back the way he did for OU. I think will will open a lot of eyeballs with some of these you know top tier prospects like Tanner Witt uh, that ha- that will be in the same position next year for Texas. I think it opens the eyes of those guys a little bit. Like, hey man, I could come back and if I you know lead my team to X or pitch like this at the end of the season, like hell, I might follow his same pathway. I mean, it's, Oklahoma was a big miss for me last year. I came out of that same weekend in Houston, haven't seen Oklahoma, and, and kind of came came home and was yeah. like. I don't think that team's very good. They were bad. Like I, I, I thought the bottom for them, I thought there was a chance they could end up being what, what Baylor actually was in terms of standings yeah. and all that stuff. Like I, cause they just did not look good at all. I didn't know where the pitching was going to come from. You had Jake Bennett and then what? Um, and, and so I, you know, I came out of it pretty ne- feeling pretty negatively and they just, they just got better. I mean, there's really, I mean, at this point we've talked about it a lot, but they just found ways to get better. And I think sometimes, I'm as guilty of this as anybody. Sometimes you look at what a team is in March and you kind of think, well, we know who they are, you know, and then not allowing for the idea that like these kids are getting more comfortable. Their skills are improving. The coaching is is sinking in like all of this stuff. Health is, is, you know, changing all that kind of stuff. So that was, that was definitely a miss for me because I would not, I, I didn't think they'd make the postseason much less go on the run they went on. Well, and Trevin Michael, I mean, another one of yeah. these guys that was Lamar. a transfer. Exactly. A, a guy who stepped up in, in competition and became the guy in that bullpen. And just an enormous, enormous piece of that run. As much as Kate Horton was, for, uh, and for my money, in Peyton Graham, I think Trevin yeah. Michael's right there in that list. He was just a dude. And, you know, that's one that, why would we see that coming? I mean, he was, yeah, he was yeah. good. He's already good. He was a nice addition to the staff. Um, he had a good year in 2021, but like, it's a whole different level. That was a whole different beast last year. Yeah, that's a great call, Fitzy, because Trevin, like, like the Virginia Tech team was a little gassed on the mound, but that position player group was super special. And that's a really offensive ballpark. And Trevin Michael was a huge part of OU pulling that soup. That, that, was, a, that was a really competitive super regional. And Trevin Michael just carved up Virginia Tech. And that it was jarring to see that as good as that lineup was. Yeah. Can I, um, can I give you one more big surprise uh, that please. I certainly did not see coming? And that's Jacob Polish becoming one of the top relievers in college Ooh, baseball. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had a, you know, ERA over five at Stanford, his final year goes to A&M under uh, coach Nathan. And all of a sudden the dudes of what was he a second team all American. I mean, yeah. Who would have thought that he would have gone on that kind of run? You look at Dylan Rock for A&M, too, in the, the season he had. Granted, he was a productive hitter at UTSA, but, you know, him and, you know, Jack Moss from Arizona State, had, you know, ended up uh, hitting 380 for A&M. But I just go back to Jacob Polish. If he doesn't have the year that he did, like, there's no way A&M even sniffs Omaha. Yep, yeah, totally. I'll say quickly, to, to tie it back to ABCA, I was in a session at ABCA last year that Nate Yeski gave, and he was showing video of bullpen work. I, I forget exactly mm-hmm. what the subject was, but he was just showing video of some bullpens guys were doing. And he was like, now here's a lefty we brought in as a transfer. And at the time I, I wasn't as familiar with the roster yet. So I'm like, who, who did they bring in for transfer? And then eventually I was like, Oh, that's, that's Jacob Palish. And, and so he was like, this is, you know, it's a lefty who was like 86, 88 where he was before. And now we've got him up throwing like 92, 93 off the mound. I just kind of remember going, huh? You know, like oh, that's, that's interesting because that alone is just like a data point, right? I mean, like, okay, yeah. but like yeah. that did allow the rest of his stuff to play in a way that was more effective than it was at Stanford, where he had nice moments, was kind of inconsistent. So there's the value you get in ABCA right there. Above everything else, Rune's told you. you, you, you get the look, at the, look at this sell job. 
We need to get him a credit commission. We're doing business. By the way, this is a great – now that Joe's here, we can kind of recap some of our lingo. So Chris Burke uh, is Chris from Louisville. Nate Yeski is Coach Nathan. You you were on that like white on rice, Coach (laughs) Ely, so well done. Hey, boys, let's wrap it with this. Okay. Uh, We're going to do thumbs up, thumbs sideways, thumbs down. So, you know, we we know – this is how it works in college baseball. All the rules that Major League Baseball implements, in some way, our rules committee – um, it's going to try and jam those rules into what we do. And so the bigger bases, I'm totally down with, right? It's safer. It encourages more base stealing. I'm excited for that. Um, it's basically, I think the runners get three inches on each side. So it's basically your six inches total closer to the next base. But the other rule that MLB is going with is a finite number of picks to first base, meaning that you can pick twice for free. The third pick to first, if you don't get the runner out, it's a balk and he gets second base. So I, I, in my mind, I'm just kind of like, man, can you imagine the tension with Enrique Bradfield at first base? And you're like, do I pick now? Do I just let him take the base? Um, but then I also had a coach who I really, really respect and said, you know, bigger base, whatever. Great. Let's do it. The finite picks to first base is that's for showcases, not for baseball. Where we're playing for money. And I was like, okay, that that's, that's impactful. So, but, but, you know, like if we want more tension and, and like, I just don't, as you guys know, as much as I'm a coach apologist, when we pick six or seven times to first base, that's just not good for the human continuum, right? Like that just, that's not, it's not good for mankind in any way, shape or form. So um, coach Healy, I will start with you. Um, And thumb sideways could be like, I'm not fully baked out here. But what do you what say you on finite number of picks to first for college baseball? Thumbs up, thumbs sideways, thumbs down. Going thumbs up. So I'm doing Ooh, a thumbs up for the for the video okay. watchers and telling yes. you it's a thumbs up for the audio listeners. Um, well I so I I'm on it. Like I, I get what that coach was saying, Runes. Like we are this is real baseball, right? I don't yeah. I don't want it to feel exhibition y. However, what I will say is we can't lose sight of the fact. And this is, I don't say this to downplay it because I, I love this sport, but we can't lose sight of the fact that ultimately this is an entertainment product. Right. Um, and I'm with you in at the six, seven picks, you know, on a guy, especially when it's a guy who's like not threatening, right? I mean, it's one thing if it's yeah. Bradfield and I don't like that either, but like, at least it's Bradfield. Okay. We get it. Just picking at a guy because you're trying to slow the game down or you're trying to get a guy hot or whatever it is like, come on. So I'm, I'm on it. And the criticism is that, okay, you pick twice. So you can't pick a third time without, without getting the out that kind of like takes the air out of the balloon. And I hear you, I would maybe argue that the counter though, which is that that might be the best time to pick though, because if you're a runner, you might kind of exhale a little bit, Yeah. you know, like I can get a little aggressive here. I can take off on this pitch. You might see guys going on first move a little more. And so I would, I think there's actually a little bit of strategy that gets baked into that that could be really interesting. So I think it, it could be a win-win, although I, I am somewhat sympathetic to the idea of like, I don't want to turn this into a, a little bit of a circus, but for me, I don't, I don't think that the, the finite number of picks is going quite that far. I think that, I think that would be a good change, especially in our sport, which let's be super honest, does have a little bit of a, a pace problem at times. No question. Fitzy, what say you? Agreed. Thumbs up. Um, and you know, I, I think Joe's, Joe's exactly right. I mean, first of all, um, I do think that it could lead to some more drama. I mean, it'd get, yeah. if anything, it, you got to figure, feel like it'll lead to more stolen bases, which, yeah. or at least more running attempts. I mean, it, probably yeah. more stolen bases because like, uh, that's, that's fun. That's exciting. I mean, having action on the base paths is more exciting than guys standing around and waiting for three run home runs or walks. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I'm all about action in the base paths. And so, uh, I think that this would, would lead to that. Secondly, um, yeah, there's kind of this, this, Baseball, I think, has always had to kind of fight this traditionalism, this this stick in the mudism, if you will. I mean, oh, we're it's baseball. We're you know, look, sports have to evolve. Sports have to evolve. You see rule changes in every sport. You know, in, in football, they you know tinker all the time with the, uh, you know, the, the pass interference rules and the you know the, the the rules about hitting quarterbacks and this or that things that have really helped offense. Uh, that that, have, that has helped the sport even you know grow even more in basketball. I mean, they're tinkering with seems like all the time with the uh, with the, the uh, illegal defense or three of the key or whatever. I mean, the three point line, I mean, you move things around, you, you play with stuff. 
And, and I think baseball has to do that too, you know, especially, especially where baseball is, is not America's pastime the way it was a hundred years ago uh, or 50 years ago. I mean, football has, has passed baseball in popularity and, and I don't know where, I don't know where the sport stands. I mean, certainly in the, in, in the in college world, we're behind basketball and, and football clearly. Um, yeah, let's, let's, let's continue to improve the product from an entertainment standpoint. I do think that is really important, especially we want to continue to, to grow the game at a grassroots level. Yep. KR, what say you? Uh, I'm kind of for doing whatever we can to get college baseball on television more. And if that means implementing a bunch of rules to, to quicken the game, then so be it. I mean, if you look at the NFL, for instance, you know, there's a reason why these these networks have these three-hour windows because they know that for the most part, an NFL game, unless it goes in OT, is going to fit within that three-hour window. So I'm not saying college baseball needs to fit in a three-hour window, but what we need to not have is A&M Louisville last year in a Super Regional that is on primetime ESPN that starts at 6.30 and ends at 11.45. Like, that is not good for the sport. So For a nine-inning game, mind you. Yes, exactly. So whether it's – and it was, what, 6-4? to four? I mean, it's not like it was 16-14. to 14. So, you know, whether it's pickoffs or, you know, you know, going quicker between innings, whatever we can do, I am mm-hmm. all for it because ultimately that's better for the sport moving forward. Can I piggyback on that? Because this Please. is this is a fascinating uh, digression, I guess. But A&M sucked to watch last year. They were not <laughs> fun to watch. But that's a large part of the reason why they were good, why they won. Yeah, is because a, they, you hard know, to play against. That's right. They drove you nuts. They fouled off so many pitches. My God, their at-bats were endless. But, like, that's good baseball. It's winning baseball. It just sucks yep. to watch. And so, like, that's, that's another, you know, you, you can't make any rules say oh you can only foul off so many pitches you know that's just that's yeah. just part of the game i mean and, yeah. and i think well-coached teams can continue to exploit that uh which is a little bit counterintuitive if we're trying to make the game more entertaining because it doesn't you know and i think even the a&m coaching staff would tell you yeah we're not fun to watch you better you better go ahead and block <laughs> off four hours you know like be yeah. ready that's just here we come um but like I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, they shouldn't do that because it worked. It got them to Omaha. So that, that, I just yep. find that to be an interesting conflict right there. No doubt. It's hey, like boys, Yankees let's... Red Sox, you know, it's like every time <sighs> Yankees Red Sox have ever played for the last 20 oh. years, it's like, oh, yeah. it's going to get brutal rough, four hours. Rough on long. the eyeballs. Yeah. Not good for the enterprise. Boys, let's cap it there. So I'll give you my vote. I, um, I like the idea of it, but I'd like to barter with the rules committee. And what I'd like to do is I'll trade you. I'll give you this. But I, what I'd like back is I'd like an adjustment to the pitch clock. I want it more intense with no one on base. I want 14 seconds with no one on base. Like, no action. Let's go. Like, grip it and rip it. But I want it to be either gone or more liberal with no one on base. Um, and maybe we make it 25 seconds so we don't just have guys standing out there freezing everybody, although that affects the pitcher too. But I want it more intense when there's no one on base. I want – I just – like, we're putting a lot on the pitchers and – you know, unless everybody gets these wristbands for signs, um, which would be that's probably be ideal. But but I, I, I like it. I think um, I agree with all the points. So thumbs up there. But more importantly, boys, thumbs up to the acquisition of Joe Healy. Joe's first yeah. performance on the podcast. <laughs> that was a pretty Elite. good performance. He had, a, yes. he had a sales pitch. He had really in-depth answers. I think I'm going to like yeah. this guy. Yeah. Yeah, all we right. Haven't seen, we haven't seen <laughs> a, a, a debut like this since Tommy White last spring. Oh, wow. That's high, praise. That's high praise. That's high praise. I'm glad Kendall has already come around on my acquisition of Joe Healy. I, I, you know, I get, <laughs> I, I really, I deserve a lot of credit for this. And, and I'm goes glad on the Kendall's back of Fitzy's baseball card. Well, I'm, a, yes. I'm a hardworking Texan, Aaron. I'm making work for it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it. All right. I'll say that was very fun. Hey, thanks again to our friends at S2 Cognition and the ABCA. Uh, keep looking out for our coach conversations upcoming. Um, and again, appreciate the listen by everybody. Go, hey, rate and review us. By the way, tons of great stuff on the website right now. Kendall mentioned the top 100 programs. Summer 22 is the promotion you want to put in there. That's 20% off if you put in Summer 22. Um, again, the website is on fire. Fall reports are eminent. That is going to be right around the corner as we get out to see fall stuff and got a lot of great stuff planned there. So that is it. Everybody have a great week, and we will catch you next time.